Welcome to the Military Birth Talk podcast, presented by the Military Birth Resource Network and Postpartum Coalition. I'm Annie Denzel, and among other things, I'm also a mom and a military spouse. Giving birth when you're in the military community comes with its own unique set of opportunities and challenges. Whether you're a service member or a military spouse, chances are you'll be faced with choices, situations, or unique circumstances that are different than those faced by our civilian counterparts. And that's where we come in. This podcast is a platform to share pregnancy, birth, and postpartum stories so that military families can enter this transformative phase of life armed with a little more knowledge, a sense of community, and a wealth of resources designed with our specific needs in mind. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Military Birth Talk. In today's episode, we'll be hearing from Master Sergeant Steve Maxwell, whose wife, Zarima, shared her birth stories in episode four of season one. Steve sat down with me to offer his perspective on being a birth partner and provided some great insight into what he experienced during the births of their three children, which took place at a civilian hospital, then a birth center, and then at home with concurrent care through the MTF. Here's my conversation with Master Sergeant Maxwell. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Military Birth Talk podcast. Um, Today is a really fun episode because I'm talking with Master Sergeant Steve Maxwell, who is going to be sharing his perspective of his wife's three birth stories. Um, We heard those in season one in episode four. So if you want to go back and listen to those, please feel free to do so. We haven't done one of these kinds of episodes before. So I'm really excited to have Steve here. Um, So Steve, welcome. And I'd love for you to just share whatever you'd like about yourself with our listeners before we start chatting. Thank you, Annie. Um, It's an honor to be here. Uh, Zarima told me what a great experience she had on this podcast. And um, so I'm excited to be here. Um, yeah, just to give a quick background on myself, uh, active duty military, I'm in the army, um, for a little over 14 years now. Um, and I was for all three of our, um, births, we were stationed in Tennessee. Uh, I was a part of, um, uh, us army special forces. So, uh, yeah, that's where we did most of the work. Um, and now we're on a little, uh, short stay in Florida, and then we'll be heading back to uh, to another group here in the near future. So. Awesome. Okay, great. So today's episode is going to be a little bit different um, than our typical birth story episodes. I want to go back kind of all the way back to the beginning. And if anyone listening wants to take a pause here and go back and listen to Zarima's episode, you can find that in your podcast feed in episode four, and then feel free to come back to this one. But Steve, let's go back to when you and Zarima first decided to expand your family. What was your knowledge up to that point in terms of the process of birthing as a military member or spouse? And what kind of care were you expecting for the pregnancy and birth? Well, I will say um, when we decided to expand our family, it was, uh, I wouldn't say an accident because that's not true. <laughs> we were definitely talking about it, but it definitely came as a surprise that it came uh, as early as it did. Mm-hmm. Um, when we found out that we were pregnant with our, our first son, I was actually away. I was TDY at a course in North Carolina, and there were communication issues with my my wife and I. Um I wouldn't say fighting, but definitely having some arguments. And then finally, um, I'm like, why don't you take a pregnancy test? Because maybe <laughs> that's maybe there's something going on. And uh, sure enough, 
I found out that we were having our, our first child via FaceTime. Um, and then from that point on, it was, um, I didn't really know what to expect from the doctor's estimation was around 12 weeks, a little late in the game, but it was, it was great. We were obviously out of the woods as it were with that first trimester. So that was kind of amusing, but, um, I will say this, like just talking to teammates of mine and service members that have had kids at, uh, military treatment facilities, MTFs, you kind of hear a lot of like horror stories so you didn't know really what to expect other than like oh, i don't want that to happen like that sounded awful so she was luckily uh working away from base so we were able to get on with an ob down by her work so it'd be more convenient for her she worked probably an hour and a half away from post so the idea of traveling all the way back up to post for those appointments was pretty much out of the question so Luckily, we were able to go out of network and sort of start going down that traditional, like, all right, you go to the hospital, you go talk to a doctor. So how was your experience with that provider? Did it meet the expectations you had at the time of how you wanted Zarima's pregnancy care to go? At first, we, we liked the OB that we met with. She was really nice. And then we started doing our own research, sort of like what to expect sort of things. Somebody turned us on to, or maybe we just saw it on Amazon Prime or something like that. The business of giving birth. Business of being born. Business Mm -hmm. of being born. Thank you. And what was funny is like, we're watching that and we're like, oh, wow, this is like a lot of things that we need to consider. This has some repercussions to it, like depending on the choices you make, what route you go down. And we distinctly remember like, all right, we're going to bring this up to the OB. We're going to bring this up to the doc next time we talk to her. So we go in and again, new parents didn't know what to expect, but we go in and we bring it up like kind of casually, like point counterpoint. We're expecting to be like, yeah, no, that's totally a valid, you know, point of view or a valid concern, but let me ease your mind. And we were just pretty much immediately dismissed of like, oh, that propaganda video, that anti whatever video. And it's like, oh, that's interesting point of view. And then Zarima specifically said like, I would like to not have an epidural. And she laughed and said, ha, we'll see. And then as we were not getting, very reassuring, not really reassuring and very, we we're older at the time. So like we were brand new parents, but not brand new people. And we very much were mature enough to say, you know, I'm not a real big fan of that. That was a major red flag. And we walked away from her at that point. Zarima, she'll she'll tell you today that she ended the appointment at that time. Um, we still continue the appointment, but she very much, I believe that she just didn't listen to a word she said from that point on. And then after we left, we both looked at each other and were like, this isn't who we want to take care of us. And we started um, researching other alternatives. And we went to, we went with uh, the birth center in Nashville and they were great. They were very supportive of the non-intervention, let it happen naturally. This is a process that happens naturally throughout the entire world. There's no reason why we can't do it without all these interventions. So that got us back on track. And then from that point on, the movies are correct. Like read the baby books. You know, um, I specifically remember reading The Birth Partner because it just dawned on me like that's the one I should probably read. And it was very helpful. Uh, and I'll point something out later of like how I was able to kind of translate that over. And then from 
that point on, it was in our heads, like, we're going to do it naturally. We're going to let it occur naturally. And, uh, and yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to do it in the birth center. And this is going to be a perfect situation. As we got to the 42-week mark, nothing was happening. So we ended up, long story short, having to get induced. They transferred us then to the to a hospital, not the MTF. We were still in the city. It was just the hospital supporting that birth center. And I remember when they checked us into the hospital, looking at my wife, and she was just very down, almost like defeated. She felt like, well, that's it. Like, I'm not going to get what I want. And I just, I remember looking at her, I'm like, why? And she said, well, because they're inducing, they're going to use Pitocin. I'm like, okay, so doesn't mean you need to get an epidural. Like you still were prepared to do this naturally and to, to labor naturally and use your hypnobirthing, which side note, that is 100% effective. Like you can call it voodoo, like make believe placebo, whatever. The human mind is a very, very powerful tool, and we've got three kids that can vouch for hypnobirthing works. Like if, if you put in the work, and which, which she did, I remember daily she would be having those headphones on and just in her own zone and getting ready for this process. So when it came time and we had to like flex a little bit, it was sort of a no-brainer to me of like, okay, so what? Like one thing changed. It doesn't mean... It doesn't derail our whole situation. Mm -hmm. And that kind of snapped her out of it, I think. It got her back on track. And yeah, it might be different. It might not be the exact way that we were expecting, but it can still be done. Right. So once the plan kind of changed at this point, she's 42 weeks, you're moving from the birth center to the hospital. What happened next? What was your experience of, of her labor and birth after that point? And were there things that surprised you about the experience or did it unfold pretty much the way that you expected? And knowing, <laughs> knowing Zarima's story, you know, I can kind of anticipate a little bit of those answers, but for anybody who hasn't listened to her episode, walk us through the experience of how things went once you got to the hospital. So I will, I will say this. I was a little bit of, of my military background bled into this. Um, I'm mm -hmm. very operationally focused, we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this. I think that part of why special forces are successful on the battlefield is because we take contingency planning very seriously. We know and understand and have been through plenty of operations that don't go as planned whatsoever, but it's important to have contingency planning in place so you know what to do in case X, Y, or Z happen. And as cheesy as it sounds, I had my little quarterback armband that I would wear like while deployed with phase lines and things like that written on it. So I have a quick reference guide for like a military operation. I literally made one up to wear at the birth center and at the, at the hospital. And I had like the phases written on there and like little cheat sheet for what I can look for mm -hmm. as the birth partner and in, um, in this process. So when we got there, I kind of was already starting to reference that. I will say this. Um, I don't know what it is about like a nursing staff or whatever. Like you, you're meeting a first time mom and telling her that like, oh, you're doing Pitocin and your water already broke. It's going to be way more painful. Like. If you're a nurse out there listening to this, please don't do that. 
automatically going on and saying like, it's going to be worse for you right off the bat. Like it didn't appreciate that. So I got that person out of there right away. Yeah. It's like the last thing you want to do at the beginning of somebody's labor or in the middle of somebody's labor is like spike their cortisol and make them more stressed. (laughs) Exactly. Like we, they already know that we're a transfer from the birthing center. Right. So we're already like kind of out of our element. We weren't expecting to be there. We don't know any of you. So to come in right away, we're scared, nervous, concerned for the baby, concerned for my wife. And you're going to be like, it's going to be worse. Like that helps no one. Right. That helps absolutely no one. And so we, we fired that nurse. I took them out in the hall and I said, this nurse doesn't come back. Um, and then when shift change happened, there was another thing of like, so how painful is it? Or something like that. Again, right then, pull them out in the hall and we're not using those words. Okay. Uh, Zarima had a mental focus that she needed to stay on. And we weren't using the word contraction. We were using the word waves. We weren't using pain. We were using pressure. Like words mean things. And I don't think it's asking too much to just say, hey, like use those words instead. Yeah. When we're trying to do this naturally. It's such a good example of how a birth partner can be so impactful in the birth space because whoever's giving birth is probably not fully in their present mind and probably doesn't have the capacity to have those kind of nuanced conversations with their staff about this is the language I need you to use to support me. But the partner who's available and of a little bit more present mind is able to have those conversations. Yeah, I sort of took it as you're you're kind of like a almost like a director. You're not the one doing any of the work, right? But you can assist with everything. You can give people guidance, clear direction, especially when things are going wrong, like shift changes happen. So, hey, new team, bring it in real quick. This is what we're doing. We all good? Does anybody have any questions? Great. Don't make any noise in there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that that I think um, I kind of, I fell in on and I thought it was uh, ultimately like it was the best way that I could help. Yeah. Um, There is one thing that you can definitely take away from this it's as a birth partner and well as the the mom to be as well like you can fire people you can absolutely tell a nurse do not come back in here you can say to the doctor like i don't ever want to see you again find another one luckily we were using midwives and they were all pretty good but you have the agency in that situation to like like advocate for yourself and like do what's best for you and if somebody in this very intimate and very um, emotional experience is not making you feel safe, secure, looked after, whatever, fire them. Mm-hmm. Like get rid of them. Like they're not getting fired for real. They'll just go down the hall. But you just don't need to see them anymore. Right. So a couple shift chains have happened at this point. You know, you're on your contingency plans. How did the birth go? Um, and talk us through your experience of the actual birth and the initial postpartum time. Yeah. So like right before she started pushing, the midwife was getting concerned that like, this is going too long, quote unquote. So I started connecting the dots as sleep deprived as I was like, all right, they're going to try and start pushing for a, a cesarean. So, you know, I just told them to wait, like there's no rush, like just wait. And within 45 minutes, they're like, all right, she's ready to push. So that was great. Um, she pushed. She pushed in the position that she felt most comfortable. Also, 
like super important. Like I'm 100% sold on this. Like you as the, as the woman, just by seeing this visually three different times, like, and then hearing her stories as a doula, um, like your body knows what it wants to do. It knows what position it wants to be in. So baby came out, he's well and good crying. We're all happy. But then when it came to the afterbirth, it, it wasn't coming out and she was just kind of bleeding. They tried some interventions that didn't work, like manually going in there. And then they finally decided like, all right, we're going to have to remove the placenta surgically. We're going to have to go in there and get it. And I'm sitting there holding my son skin to skin. And um, they're running around, like everything seems really chaotic. And I remember I'm, I'm sitting kind of even like perpendicular to my wife. I'm on a couch and I'm kind of perpendicular to her, but I'm right around even with her hips. And I can see the end, edge of the bed. And I could see just like blood pouring onto the floor. As they're like kind of frantically running around, not taking care of her, but like getting paperwork squared away to make sure I sign all the right documents. And I had to like just shout at people like, would you please take care of her? She's literally bleeding out and we'll sign whatever documents we need to. But like it snapped them out of it and they're like, oh crap, like we need to go. And I'm like, I shouldn't have to be the adult in the room. Like that was upsetting. Um, they got her out. They didn't tell me anything. They didn't tell me where they were taking her. But you know what? I had my son there. Like, it's fine. I got him. They'll take care of her. How did you feel watching her be wheeled out into surgery? Did you feel reassured that things would go well? Or? Nope. I wasn't very confident in the doctor because she kept referring to my wife's placenta as her uterus. So she kept saying, we need to remove the uterus. Oh she kept God. saying, I had to correct her. Like, you mean placenta? She's like, yeah, yeah. That, that's what I mean. I'm like, all right, we want to keep the uterus. It was something else. Like, the obstetric surgeon kept referring to my wife's placenta as her uterus. Yeah, like speaking of the importance of using language in the Yeah, like space, words mean things, but one. medical terms and body right. parts really, I, we don't need an, an impromptu hysterectomy. Like, right, please go right. in and grab the right thing out. So, no, I wasn't uh, too confident. Um they brought her back. I don't even know how, how many hours later, but I remember again, I'm holding my son and this doctor that looked like he was about 18 comes in with her and I'm like, how is she? And he just looks at me. He's like, and who are you? And I had to pass my son off to my mom and yank him out of the hallway. And like, I'm her husband, the father of the child. Like you're going to tell me what is going on. And, uh, Luckily, his his resident was there and was able to smooth things over. But uh, yeah, it was that was awkward. And mm. um, then, of course, like Zareem is in a lot of discomfort. She's barely even been skin to skin with our son yet, and she's just came out of surgery, and it was pretty traumatic. If you're a first time parent, you probably remember this. Like your firstborn, you wake up every thirty minutes to make sure they're still breathing. I don't know. Like that's what I did. That's what some of my buddies did. They're like, I will go and I'll wiggle a foot or I'll just put my finger underneath the nose. Like, so I was up, but I'm worried about him. And then I'm also worried about my wife who just came out of surgery. And according to the doc took like a ridiculous amount of blood. Mm. Like, they had to replace a lot of blood. So yeah, it was a serious situation. So after, after that initial hospital birth experience, what did you take away from that and how, did that inform what your plans were with Zarima for her 
second and third births? The first main thing we took away is just because she had Pitocin um, and her water broke, like she can still do it naturally. Plenty of people were fairly amazed at hearing that she labored naturally, even after being induced and given Pitocin, um, because that isn't a natural form of like contractions. It just kind of like, it's like never ending, essentially. Like you can actually watch it on the graphs. It's kind of cool. I've watching the TV monitors and, and stuff. And like, you could see where it should be like a wave with a peak and a valley. It's just constant, <clears throat> but you can do it naturally. Um, you don't need an epidural. So like that instilled like a tremendous amount of confidence in Zurima's ability to do this. The next thing it showed was like, we don't want to get ourselves into that situation again. Cause we're both pretty convinced that the initial calculation was off on the due date. And that's what led to him not being ready to be born, mm -hmm. the placenta not separating because it just wasn't ready. And what's further evidence to it is the way, the ease at which the subsequent births went. Like we didn't mm -hmm. have these issues mm -hmm. with our second and third born. So how did your experience with the birth of your first child influence the decisions you made when Zarima got pregnant with your second? And what kind of care were you planning for this time? With the second, we still wanted to do a birth center but we also did see the value of the hospital just in that event of if this were to happen again, like it's good to be here. So we went to a different hospital, but we were in their birth center with a midwife, none of these crazy machines. And the room was awesome. It had a tub. It had couch. Like it was, a, it was a really nice suite. And that one was, again, they were wanting to push like, you got to get in like 42 weeks. That's the deadline or else we're going to. We're going to come get you. Like the other thing we found, we learned from the first birth was the importance of a doula, the importance of like a birth partner, not just like a spouse or uh, a loved one, but actually somebody there to assist in other ways, whether it's running and grabbing me a sandwich or running down the hall and getting ice chips or whatever, because that hospital did offer like a free doula service. Now that was, you know, results may vary because it's a free doula service and it's all like doulas in training. So the first one we got was reading books and like as this is, luckily we kind of we kind of laugh because the doulas that we got through this service um, at the hospital like were the right doulas for the time that they were there. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense, like she was there early on and she's like, "Have you ever thought of bouncing on a ball?" As we're like sitting on the medicine ball. And she like flips the page and, and then the, the last one that was there for like the heavy work and the pushing and the delivery, she was like a mom of three. She's been doing this for a while and she was awesome. Like she was truly like a rock star, but she was also there to help back me up at that time. Like I was able to actually dialogue with somebody that wasn't somebody without a specific like quote unquote agenda. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So going into the second and third, like we had, we had doulas when, when the second one, when it was time, like I kind of identified it early. Like, I think it's, I could, I think he's going to show up today. Like, let's start making our way towards the, the birth center. We'll go for a walk. You know, I was on the phone with the, with the center and then this is what we're looking like. They're like, yep, yeah, maybe another hour or so. And when we got checked in, finally, he was born, I think two hours later. And our doula slash birth photographer was there. She was helping with stuff as I was like kind of scrambling to set the room up the way we wanted it. 
and I was sort of helping Zarima get from station to station. And I was also keeping an eye on like what she was doing. Again, the, the lessons learned from that first birth really helped. They didn't want us pushing in the tub for whatever reason. I ran out and I got the midwife and I'm like, hey, I think, I think it's time for her to push. And she's like, no, I can't be. She's only been here for like two hours. Sure enough, like we got her out of the tub and she was legit pushing on the five foot walk to the bars, the squat bars. And he was born like after like two or three pushes born on call, which was pretty cool to see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was, that was cool. Um, I will say like, I felt like when he was born and he was born on call, like I was calmer than any of the other staff. Remember one nurse in particular, like frantically, like trying to break the bag and then get them all cleaned off with the towels and like, Rather than to make sure, like, it's like, calm down. Like, he was, he's perfectly fine. Right. He was in that bag for nine months. He's okay. <laughs> calm down. He's still connected. Like, you haven't cut the cord yet. Everybody relax. We went in prepared, like, really prepared, standing on solid ground with, like, what we can, we know we can do and what we're going to request be our birth plan. We're like, we didn't even need to be in that hospital. We could have done that at home. Okay, so I feel like that leads pretty well into your third birth story, which we know from Zarima's episode did take place at home. So go into a little more detail about that. How did you come to that decision? And then how was that experience? Um, fast forward a couple more years. And at this point, we were sort of like having to go to the MTF because we switched from, I think, select to prime. And they wouldn't release her to go outside. So we ended up just paying out of pocket and doing it at home. And again, we're not cooped up to a room. We have our whole house. We have our whole yard. She did most of it outside. Honestly, she did most of it outside walking around. And it was so cool to watch. And I was just in the house, you know, putting things together, getting the tub set up in the living room, making sure we had everything that we had. We did forget one sort of important piece of hardware. Uh, for that process, but in a pinch, uh, a spaghetti strainer worked. Uh, <laughs> but uh, when our daughter was born, that was really, really great because she was born in the in the tub, and I actually caught her and, and pulled her out. Um, and the cord was wrapped around her neck, which was crazy. I, it's not crazy; like it happens. Happens a lot. Again, yeah, right. Fine. She just slipped <laughs> over her head, and it was perfectly fine. That was such an awesome experience. Like it really was. I really do believe that everybody should have that opportunity. I hope that everybody would have that opportunity to do because it's just such a cool thing to see. After doing it, you look back and you're like, that should have just been the way we were doing it like to begin with. What was the emotional experience for you as a partner during the second and third bursts where you were in spaces where you felt more at ease? I mean, I know for the person giving birth, the environment that you're in makes a huge difference, whether you feel safe or scared. But what was your experience as the partner emotionally during those second and third births? And how did the environment that you were in enable you to support Zarima? So I feel like for the second and third, I was, um, again, in that director seat, but almost like as a buffer as well, you know, like run everything through me, like you don't need to bother her right now. Don't go ask her what her address is because you have to fill out a form. Like I can answer that. For the second one, 
it was again like nurses coming in and asking silly questions when my wife's trying to like mentally get get through this and really focus the slightest thing the the change in the lights can throw her off it's such a delicate balance at that point where she has to remain focused that run everything through me you know i'll you know sort of touch base with her from time to time and just see where she's at what she's sort of feeling and i was able to sort of figure out where she was based on her movements or her honestly the noises mm-hmm. and that's how i was able to quickly identify eight hey, no get in here it's time because she's like literally pushing right now yeah she did share that in her episode that she noted that you noticed before she did that it was yeah. time to push yeah, it was just, it was that when you start to like watch things, you can see changes. Mm-hmm. And it's just about being present, but also being aware of what's going on around. That was probably the best way I could put like how I was able to sort of assist in that situation. And then with the, with the third one, the home birth, I mean, I had just so much trust in her ability to do this that like it was awesome. So how did the experience of supporting Zarima as a birth partner, how did that change your relationship with her as her spouse? You know, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I think if I could speak for her, um, I would say, I would venture to guess that that might have given me a little bit more, uh, a little bit more brownie point, like some more, um, almost like trust. A relationship is nothing without trust. Me being there and doing what I did, um, which is just what I thought was the right thing to do in those in each of those times, and being able to support her in literally her most vulnerable, like me being able to do that and provide that for her, I think um, I think I gained a lot of trust, um, and just we're able to build on that in everything else. And what about what about your relationship with the military? How did this experience evolve your understanding of your role um, in the in the military and also your understanding of how the military as a system and as a culture supports birthing families? Um, Anecdotally, from the way we were treated, because we still had to go to the MTF and they were trying every trick in the book to like scare tactic her into like, no, you, you got to do this here, you know? And we, we just let them believe us that, yep, we're going to, yeah, we'll, we'll, when it, when the time comes, we'll, we'll show up. We had no intention of doing so. Um, and they were really pushing hard for inductions at around like 38, 39 weeks. Um, they do that a lot. I'm, I'm not sure why, uh, because all that, all this sort of the studies and the more that we're finding out, that's just leading to higher rates of C-sections, which look, they have their place and they are an absolute miracle in, in many situations, but they're not a, oh, well, that didn't work. Better just do a C-section sort of situation. Um, I, I also noticed a difference between the way we were treated and the way other service members were treated. At the time, I was uh, an E7, so a sergeant first class, a little bit more knowledge. And you could see their tone and their 
their interaction with my wife changed on the appointments that I showed up versus when I wasn't there, it was very much, nope, you're going to do this. And that's just the way it is because I'm a major and I know better and you don't know anything. And then when I show up, I'm like, nope, I don't think we're going to do that. They're like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, it's your body. You let us know what you want to do. And it's like, right. all right, that's better. Um, right. and, we, and you hear that a lot, unfortunately. Um, we are still in the military. And if you're in private first class or a specialist or an early sergeant or a junior lieutenant, and you've got a major, which is a field grade officer telling you what you're going to do, you instinctively have to say, Roger that, sir, like, or Roger that, ma'am. Like, and that's a dangerous thing to have in place, in my opinion. This is Steve's opinion, not Master Sergeant Maxwell's. That's a dangerous dynamic to have in a situation like this. In a, in a patient care provider situation, that sort of dynamic has no place in this relationship. The doctor or care provider patient relationship should not have the increased formality of rank involved in there. Right. Also, Zarima's had doula clients who she even saw firsthand, like the difference between an officer's wife giving birth versus an enlisted wife's versus the officer herself giving birth. Again, that relationship, the way that those parties are treated differently by the, the staff, again, it's not okay. So we tried to avoid that as best we could, but not everybody has the options or the financial availability to, to do what we did. We, we paid out of pocket for the midwife. like that. We came out that money ourselves because we had it and we were able to. And we made that decision that that was the right thing to do for us, for our family. Yeah. What do you think about the culture within the active duty community in general, especially for male spouses supporting their female partners? Do you find that there's a lot of involvement and sort of a respect for the role that birth partners play in birth, um, in the birth space as an active duty service member? Or do you think that there's still some sort of cultural progress that needs to be made there? I still think there is um, a paradigm shift that, that has to happen. I don't know the specific statistics on male versus female in the military, um, but I do know it's larger male percentage. And I think that the opinion or the idea or the perspective still exists that like, ooh, birth, that sounds painful. Do whatever the doctor says. This is going to be miserable. Like, uh, I'm, I'm just going to be over here in the corner trying not to faint. It's that old Hollywood notion of you open the door to the birthing room and it's just you just hear the lady screaming and the husband over in the corner passing out or, you know, in the fetal position. And it's not at all it is. And then the doctor's like, I know better. You listen to me. I'm here to save the day. I think that still exists in our in our society as a whole and especially more so in the military, just because it's like we're going to go to the MTF. They're going to take care of us. And they're going to do whatever they can to make sure the baby arrives safe. And I, and I think still then it's, it's the notion that rank is involved. And here's this army doc saying that I got to come in then. So that's what I got to do. Mm-hmm. It's ingrained into us. And unfortunately, that's the case. And it's, it's not something that we can solve overnight either. It's just It is the, the system we're in. Yeah. If anybody is listening to this episode who is a birth partner... What would you tell them about how best to show up and what's something that 
anyone whose partner or spouse is pregnant or about to give birth, what's something that they can do to be prepared to play a role and to be supportive when the time comes? Uh, for an easy reference, the birth partner book is a phenomenal book. If you're only going to read one chapter, have it be the actual labor process. Just read that and you'll understand like generally what the process is. Now, for the other questions, um, this is non-emergency situation. Like we're, we're sitting in our, our house comfortable and we're getting ready to have a baby naturally, right? Um, or we're getting ready to go. Just understand that you have a say in all of this. You have a say in it. You, they can't make you do anything unless it's an emergency situation. And again, go back and actually do some research and figure out what an emergency is. Question the care providers. It's okay to question them. You are your best and number one advocate. And as the birth partner, you have got to be the voice for three people, yourself, your spouse or your significant other, and the baby. You are literally the voice for three people. And it's up to you to make sure that if you have a plan, that it, it goes according to your plan as best as you can make it. You know, obviously things change, but have contingencies. Thank you, Steve, so much. This was so awesome to hear your perspective. And um, I really appreciate all of your time. And I'm sure that a lot of folks listening in are really going to appreciate a lot of the things that you shared and take away a lot of great lessons. So thank you so much for being on Military Birth Talk today. Thank you very much for having me. It was, a, it was really a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Military Birth Talk podcast. Join us again next week for another birth story. And we'd love it if you could leave us a review and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. To follow along on social media, you can find us on Instagram at at Military Birth Talk. To learn more about the Military Birth Resource Network and Postpartum Coalition, please visit mbrnpc.org or find us on Facebook. See you next week.